Hey, and welcome to the Thodcast, conversations about animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, and I want to wish you all a happy new year. This is the first episode of 2019, and um, I'm joined not by my brother this week, but by uh, Jody Pulaski once again. Hey, Jody. Hi, I'm so excited. I feel like I'm becoming somewhat of a regular on here. Maybe 2019's the year I jump in for good. Well, that'd be awesome. Uh, you're always welcome. And I'm so glad to have you along uh, to share your insight on the movie we're discussing today. It's a little bit different from our usual lineup because uh, we generally just talk about animated film and TV on this show. But this, uh, this film is technically a live action film that we're discussing today, um, but it does contain animation. It has a rich legacy in animation. So I thought it was worth talking about. Um, that is Mary Poppins Returns, Jody. Um, you you just saw Mary Poppins Returns. Um, I saw it on Saturday. Um, directed by Rob Marshall. I know we were just talking about Pirates of the Caribbean and um, the director Gore Verbinski and uh, his various other directing uh, projects. Well, the fourth uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie, On Stranger Tides, that was directed by Rob Marshall. Um, who who did Mary Poppins Returns, and then you're you're mentioning Chicago. Um, he did Into the Woods. Yeah, Rob Marshall has a rich history in uh, musical film, um, and also um, is credited as a choreographer on a lot of his projects. I don't know if you knew that. So he's a he's a dance no, expert. I didn't know that he had done Into the Woods as well. I was going to mention Into the Woods because of uh, Emily Blunt. That's where I saw her most recently. Was she plays the baker's wife? in Disney's Into the Woods. So I didn't know that he directed both. That's interesting. Yeah, um, so Rob Marshall's just uh, done a lot of, yeah, he did Chicago, he did the, the movie Nine, um, a bunch of yeah, musicals. I think he got his start in, uh, well, one, one of his earliest credits is uh, The Wonderful World of Disney, where he's credited as a uh, choreographer. Um, and of course, yeah, the, there's so much to this film. It, it does follow up quite a bit from um, the movie Into the Woods. It's got a lot of the same people involved. Um, Disney's Into the Woods, that came out 20... Uh, 2014, I think, because it was a Christmas movie as well. You can double check it, but I think it yeah, was Yeah, I think you're right, 2014. Wow. Yeah, so not all that long ago, I don't think it was considered like a huge, like monumental success, but I really love all of Sondheim's musicals. Mm -hmm. So I went to it right away when it came out just to see what they did with it. And I thought it was, it was whimsical enough. I, I don't know, it's probably better on stage than on the screen. Mm -hmm. I uh, I've never seen it on stage. Well, actually I did. I saw like a community theater production of it um, and then saw the movie. Um, you know, it, it was interesting you know, it's kind of a a different subversive take on a lot of fairy tales and it intermingles a lot of uh, different fairy tales in, into one story um it was, it was it felt very dark and then the story is supposed to be kind of dark and um you know grim <laughs> yeah i think like the the theme is sort of what happens after you get what you wish for like what happens to these characters once Cinderella finds her prince and once Rapunzel gets out of her tower or whatever. So it kind of mm -hmm. is supposed to be like after happily ever after what happens to these characters. <laughs> so that's always interesting. Yeah. Well, 
And a lot of these classic fairy tales don't necessarily have a happily ever after in, in some of their earlier um, iterations, like the grim fairy tales. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of dark endings or, or at least material. Uh, and then a lot of that sort of gets glossed over in our more contemporary versions. The kind of modern definitive take on a lot of these tales is you know, whatever Disney brings in their tellings. And and so with Mary Poppins, uh, we're going to just be talking about this as we would any other movie or show, um, you know, maybe pay a little extra attention to some of the animated bits. Uh, but yeah, Jody, you how familiar are you with with Mary Poppins? Um, you know, it's shocking, but I realized I haven't seen the original. I always felt like I had because I'm really familiar with the songs and I obviously know the character Mary Poppins but when I thought about it I realized I've never seen the movie and the only reason I know the songs is because of like in elementary school your piano books you have like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and um, step in time and a couple of those classics and then I know the character just because Mary Poppins is like this iconic nanny that people reference mm -hmm all the times, but yeah. I've never seen the movie. So I got to go in with really no expectation or any worry about bias or comparison because I don't know how the first one went. I mean, I'm assuming a nanny comes in and turns life around, but I didn't have to compare this one to that, which was kind of nice, I think. Yeah, I think this movie uh, did a decent enough job of distancing itself from the original, um, just, Kind of in terms of style and and um, musical uh, comparison, just so that it could stand on its own. But it it also is a direct sequel. Um, it but I, I think they were wise to not necessarily bank too much on nostalgia. Um, it's just it's got a very kind of classic feel of, of the classic you know golden age of Hollywood uh, musicals. It's just something different in yeah, in 2018. Was the original came out again. What year? Well, the the original, yeah, was 1964. It's been 54 years. I I was saying that I think my mom said that she saw this originally in theaters. I went with my mom and my family to it, mm -hmm. and the whole time my mom was smiling ear to ear. So it definitely didn't disappoint her if she saw the first one in theaters and she saw this one in theaters because she absolutely loved this Mary Poppins Returns. 54 yeah. years wow it stood the test of time hasn't it yeah yeah they they put a lot of uh care and craft into this uh new sequel and uh i i really enjoyed it i mean i love the original mary poppins um it's it is something that holds a lot of nostalgia for me um a lot of great themes and and messages um and and the music is just brilliant uh you know, composed by the Sherman brothers who did a lot of work for Disney. Um, yeah, a lot of the classic faces of, of that era in Hollywood, um, Dick Van Dyke and Julie Andrews. Um, and so now we, we're just kind of um, pulling from the sa same uh, archetypes only in 20, 2018, um, now 2019. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's they they definitely didn't want to put out something that dishonored the the original uh, vision, and in doing so, I, I think they they maybe 
you know, played it, played it a little bit safe. Um, but I, I really had a good time. The music was great. Um, the, the story was, was good. It, you know, I don't know, things maybe felt a little more uh, monotone in, in this film than they did in the original. I think the original had was just, you know, sharper and more colorful um, and um, more variety, like more thematic um, depth as well in, in the original. But, um, you know, how, how can you top that? <laughs> so I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what I would have been driven to go see this movie because of the cast that they picked alone. So even if the original hadn't existed, I think I would have wanted to see it. They really did pick some all-stars to lead it. Lin-Manuel Miranda, I mean, that name right now is like, I would say like one of the hottest names out there in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. oh, so sure. when he was going to be in this, obviously I follow him after his Hamilton success and he worked on Moana as well with Disney. So I would have gone to it for that reason alone. And I think you're right. There were some parts that were kind of like blum drum humdum mm -hmm. um, in this, but I think they probably just did that so that the whimsical and enthusiastic parts could stand out a little more. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't have the original to base my opinion off of, but I, I thought when the movie first started and you see Lin-Manuel Miranda, I wanted him to like burst out in this huge opening number, but it's kind of more of this little like melody he sings about, following the light or the London skies mm -hmm. and uh, but then you know once they get into the Mary Poppins fire I was like okay now now they've captured me into this magical world mm -hmm. yeah underneath the lovely London sky yeah it's yeah. uh he's and he got ends a great... with that too right mm -hmm. it starts and ends with that little bitty yeah and um, a lot of very um notable like musical motifs that recur throughout the the, um, the film uh, and that's cool like you you get to pick up on some of the melodies and then they reuse a lot of those those musical phrases throughout the various songs um throughout the the film um yeah underneath the lovely london sky it shares a lot of the same um, musical structure as um you know I don't know. It seems like most of the songs have had that sort of that phrase at the beginning. The um, how how does it go? Um, let's see if I can recall it. The do 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 something like that. It's. Yeah, I I know what you're. Yep, I know what you're humming. Yes. Yeah. I can't remember if that's from a specific song or is that um, nodding to the original? Is there a song in there? Because it's like, in I, the most delightful way. Is it that one? It's it's supposed to evoke that the same feel as Spoonful of Sugar, but um, it, it is entirely original. Uh, Mark Shaman composed the music. Um, and... Um, he he also was joined by Scott Whitman on on some of the compositions. Um, I'm not sure if Lin Manuel Miranda had much input. I don't, you know, he's not credited um, as a musical composer or writer. Uh, some of the music, I mean, it's not quite as distinctive as the originals uh, from the Sherman Brothers, and you get a few occurrences of of some of the original songs. 
just just briefly um they there aren't any reprises of any of those those songs from the first yeah, thing i was waiting and kind of listening to see if they were going to bring back any of those original songs or if they were going to you know bring back because i knew they brought back some of the original performers uh like you said dick van dyke um and i was like watching for them to bring back julie andrews but she's not in it at all no. and i thought think they ever approached her about um, having a cameo or being part of the production in any way or was she just totally yeah she was um, you know they I think they wanted her involved um, but she decided against it maybe she just wanted Emily Blunt to like be her own Mary Poppins and let like Mary Poppins returns be a distinct you know, vibe and not feel like she's coming in. I, I don't know, because she was obviously like, that's such a defining character for her. Maybe she just decided it was easier to like close her chapter and let this be Emily's chapter as Mary Poppins. I'm not sure, I haven't read anything about it, but I was I was hoping to see her just because I thought that'd be fun for the movie. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Julie Andrews um, was the original Mary Poppins, and of course she's got famous roles in um, The Sound of Music um, and, I don't know, numerous other films from that era. She's turned up in things lately. I'm drawing a blank. I feel like she has a million movies that I should know off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm only thinking of The Princess Diaries when she's the grandma. Yeah, she was in those, The Princess Diaries, which is also Disney. She turned down the cameo to appear as the balloon lady in the uh -huh. film's final musical number. Um, and she, she uh, feared it would be too distracting, which, yeah, that, that's a fairly large cameo. <laughs> yeah. But, she has almost a couple whole verses during that song, We Go Up or whatever. Yeah. Um, and even who they picked for that role, I found, I mean, it was nice, uh, but it was certainly distracting to the, you know, to the degree where like, you're like, oh, well, that's that person, <laughs> which is, uh, of course, Angela Lansbury. She comes in. Um, and yeah, just uh, spoiler alert, of course, for anyone listening, we'll, we're, I think, liable to kind of go into every detail or any detail um, that happens to cross our minds uh, when discussing this. Um, but yeah, I mean, Angela Lansbury is, um, she's the same age as Dick Van Dyke, which is amazing. 93. Wow. Mm -hmm. And he's still tap dancing on the top of desks. He was given four options for the dance scene. Uh, so that is Dick Van Dyke dancing. Um, and they... Wait, they, even when he's on top of the desk, that's actually him dancing at 93? That's edited. Well... That's <laughs> there, there could be some magic going on, but um, he definitely did dance for the role. Oh, I love that. Um, and he insisted on performing the hardest dance routine. He, and he said he refused, it says here, he refused any help from his fellow cast members while filming the scene. Uh, this is via IMDb trivia. I love that he wants his legacy to be his legacy. That's awesome. He's probably in great shape. Um, they they had to add old age makeup to his appearance in this movie, just to make him look, you know, even older than uh, than 
how he appears because apparently he doesn't look 93. I'll have to pull up a picture after mm -hmm. this because I, they did a good job with the makeup. I thought he was 100. That was, yeah, it was a fun cameo. I mean, I was always impressed by his appearance as the old man in the first Mary Poppins because that, that does look fairly convincing as, as an old age makeup job. Um, and then in that movie, he plays the father of the character he plays in this movie, Mr. Dawes. Um, so in this movie, he's Mr. Dawes Jr. The uh, first one, he's Mr. D Dawes Sr. And Mr. Dawes Sr. in the first movie, of course, uh, <laughs> uh, passes away, unfortunately, at the end of the movie um, after laughing himself to death <laughs> after being told a joke by Mr. Banks. Um, but it, that all is well, um, cause Mr. Banks is later confronted in the film by, by Mr. Dodge Jr. Saying that like, you know, um, Mr. Dodge Sr. Got all he ever wanted when he, um, you know, was given, he was blessed with a happy, uh, passing. <laughs> so, uh, because because of that character now leaving the bank, um, it, it left an opening for Mr. Banks to come in and become a, a senior partner at the bank. Um, so that that basically was the entire happy resolution of the first film, if you haven't seen it. Um, so yeah, the, the first, I mean, Mary Poppins um, is based on a collection of like short stories and children's stories from P.L. Travers. Um, I think she wrote them in the early, early 20th century. Um, Jody, have you seen Saving Mr. Banks? I haven't. Is okay. that supposed to be the Mr. Banks in this story? Well, yeah, Mr. Banks um, in the original Mary Poppins is the father uh, of the two main characters now in Mary Poppins Returns because um, this movie set it's set 25 years after the original, even though it came out 54 years after. Um, and the Mr. Banks is kind of the linchpin of the first Mary Poppins movie, at least according to the author who, um, who wrote or constructed the character of Mary Poppins, um, more so around the, uh, the idea of the father you know, of the sort of estranged father because she had her own sort of conflicted relationship with with her father, P.L. Travers. Um, her father kind of was, uh, I, I think he was a bit of a drunkard um, and had difficulty holding down work. Um, so their family struggled. A lot of the thematic weight of, of her writing came from her relationship with her father. Yeah, what an inspiration for her to create this nanny that kind of can come along and make everything right, mm -hmm. you know. I was wondering, you know, what the inspiration was, because I really like Mary Poppins, but a question I kind of had throughout this movie, and maybe you can answer me this because maybe it's more clear in the original, but does Mary Poppins like kids like i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not sure how to say it exactly because she but she's kind of like witty and she kind of like denies her magic a little bit in front of the father and there's these like little moments where she looks at the camera and you're almost like 
Not that she likes kids, but don't you feel like there were some moments where she's almost like sarcastic? Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, she's she's very sarcastic. Um, and in this movie, actually, she is supposedly a little more faithful to the book version. Emily Blunt did a lot of research into the original P.L. Travers stories and endeavored to sort of bring that persona to life um, every bit as much as, you know, what Julie Andrews did, which was equally amazing, but like not necessarily um, based on on P.L. Travers. At least I don't think Julie Andrews um, did much research on on the character. She just kind of um, played what she was given. Herself, yeah. Mm -hmm. huh. yeah. That's interesting. I would, I would like to read a little bit more about that because I, I thought the way Emily Blunt sort of played off those, those special like side glances and those little like interjections, mm -hmm. I thought it was really unique because I always pictured not seeing the original that she was just this whimsical, endearing like nanny, but she's, she's like confident and she's sharp as a whip. And I really liked that part of her. There's this scene when they go to the music hall. This is when they're in the animated. I think they're in the bowl. It's the animated world. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is saying, oh, come up on stage and sing. And she's like, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't. And then you know she's loving it. And she loves the attention. And she mm -hmm. just rocks it. But I liked that part of her. I thought they made her very, like, modern, mm -hmm. confident character as a nanny because a nanny you could think of as very submissive but she's not like that at all she's she's great yeah um emily blunt you know is, is a little less saccharine she's more icy um and and she's like that in a lot of her, in a lot of her roles uh julie andrews is you know she's similarly firm and and has a lot of sarcastic moments but um yeah this uh emily blunt kind of interpretation really embraces that um, even more. And I think she, you know, she is supposed to be a little older, you know, this, the, the character of Mary Poppins is of course shrouded in mystery. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the, <laughs> one of the classic quotes is that, you know, Mary Poppins doesn't explain anything. So yeah, various, I'm sure theories um, have arisen as to, you know, just who Mary Poppins is. Um, you know where where does she come from uh it's it's funny there's a one instance in this m movie where um i i think mary pop both mary poppins age and her weight are referenced at various points <laughs> throughout this movie and um she just gives you know icy glares whenever that subject comes up yeah I know, I, I know what scenes you're referring to. I can't remember in what part of the movie it is, but in the beginning when she when she finally comes to the bank's home mm -hmm. and that she says, she says, well, I'm here to take care of the bank's children. And the kids are like, you mean us? And she's like, oh, you too. <laughs> yeah, but I love, I love all those little moments she has. And I think that's when um, uh, Mr. Banks and his sister are like, oh, you look like you haven't aged a bit. And maybe yep. George asks, how old are you? And she, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you should never mention a woman's age. Mm -hmm. And then, like later, they're riding on Lynn Miranda, uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda's bike, and uh, like they strap. It's kind of creative how they do this. They 
just strap a ladder across the back and and like they're able to ride on on the ladder as it sort of spread like wings from the bike and uh, one of the young boys is like how much do you weigh mary pop and it's just that look that she gives him it's just priceless um and yeah so this this movie is set in the great depression um it uh, it revolves around the character of um, Michael Banks from the original movie. He now has three kids. Uh, they're all of similar age, but their their names are Annabelle, uh, John, or, and Georgie. I think Annabelle and Georgie are the oldest. I'm not sure if they're twins or what. Um, oh, I think Georgie's the young blonde. Georgie's the young blonde? Yep. Okay. Um, I, I got that mixed up. I was thinking he was John, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> There's the three kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was funny that one of them's named Georgie and, and then he gets sucked down into the bathtub. <laughs> um, kind of like the kid named Georgie and it who gets sucked down into a street. Oh <laughs> yeah. I like it. I didn't think about that at all. That is funny. Yeah, and of course the girl's name's Annabelle, which is another you know horror character from recent films, you know, from the Conjuring films. But yeah, they uh, their mother is recently deceased. Uh, Michael Banks, played by Ben Wishaw, he's inherited the family home, and apparently his parents are are deceased now as well. Uh, George Banks and um, what was uh, Winifred? Banks uh, from from the original, played uh, respectively by David Tomlinson and Glennis Johns. Um, David Tomlinson was in a lot of like old old school Disney live action films, um, like Bedknobs and Broomsticks and uh, Herbie uh, the Love Bug. Um, Glennis Johns has been in a ton of movies. She's still alive, actually, um, and uh, she but she retired from acting in 1999. So she wasn't going to come back for a cameo in this one. But yeah, now, uh, so it's just the two kids from the first movie. Um, the the girl, Jane, she's now in her thirties. Um, she works in like community activism, like lobbying for higher wages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Michael, um, He's now working at the bank out of necessity, although he's, he's trained as a painter. Yeah. Um, so he's fallen on hard times with the death of his wife, um, having to raise three young kids. Um, you know, his parents are no longer around. Um, yeah, apparently they, he had to take out a loan to deal with expenses from the hectic year and um, never <laughs> bothered to make any payments. So he gets issued a notice of repossession from the bank. Uh, Fidelity Fiduciary Bank, which is the same bank his father and he uh, you know, have both worked for now. Um, so yeah, it's kind of an interesting premise where like <laughs> you'd think he'd get a little more slack from the bank that you know he's been you know, um, working with. Yeah. And his only hope to kind of save this home is to find this paper copy of his shares in the bank. Mm -hmm. And the bank doesn't have, I mean, there's no electronic copy of anything, but you realize (laughs) the bank 
has has a copy of the shares but ends up burning it because he wants yeah. to obviously possess the house but yeah we we actually have a serious villain in this movie in the form of uh, Colin Firth who plays Wilkins um i was kind of shocked when when that happened in the film uh, the first movie doesn't have a real villain. Like the closest thing to an antagonist that movie has is the character now played by Dick Van Dyke in this movie, uh, Mr. Dawes. Like he, and and of course, Mr. Banks is the, I guess the primary antagonist in the first movie. Um, and then, yeah, he gets, you know, subordinated uh, by, you know, Mr. Dawes. And then, yeah, that that all gets resolved fairly nicely at the end. Well, in the, in this movie, um, yeah, Miss the the new chairman of the bank is just this nasty uh, fraud. Yeah, yeah, he's a wolf. Yeah, that was cool. Um, he he does play the wolf in the animated sequence. Mm-hmm. I I wonder how like they <laughs> they fell into such dire times though, because you you'd think. Uh, Mr. Banks becoming a partner at the bank, um, you know, would have resulted in, you know, him sort of passing a fortune onto his kids, maybe. paying <laughs> attention to his personal finances. He says that his wife, his late wife, was the one who paid attention to all of that, like the logical things. But if you think you'd think you'd have your papers a bit more sorted at home. I mean, it, it it's explainable in that it is the Great Depression. So there were plenty of wealthy bankers who lost a lot of money at that time. And and uh, is possibly what propelled Colin Firth's character to become such a sleaze. You know, he's just looking out for himself in this cutthroat time economically. Um, but yeah, then... Um, so So they're able to, or they're having to navigate this whole situation. And, and Michael's a painter. So like he, maybe he like <laughs> didn't do a whole lot of investing in um, earning money throughout his career. Um, or, or at least that market would have dried up with the Great Depression. But it was a really nice touch at the beginning of the movie, the oil paintings, uh, that montage at the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bunch of various like London scenes done in in a painting style, um, and that's actually a tribute to the production designer of the first of the first film, uh, Peter Ellen Shaw, who's a painter and production designer. Um, he died in two thousand seven, but he did a lot of work for Disney. Um, he's a he's a Disney legend. And he did that type of uh, painting and scenery that we saw kind of at the beginning, like the oils, oil paintings, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved that. Yeah, yeah, it was great. He did a lot of the matte paintings um, for Mary Poppins. Um, and and uh, yes, that, that inspired the career that Michael would then take on. Um, of course, now he's having to <laughs> transition to banking like his father, and, and uh, of course, Jane takes after her mother with her activism. Um, but yeah, then like the, all these, you know, of course, they're in such hard times that is prime moment for uh, Mary Poppins to come in and hopefully save the day. <laughs> yes, 
and she does. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love how they bring her back down on the kite. Obviously, I knew the song "Let's Go Fly" kite mm-hmm. was from the original one. Um, but like, she comes down, and I just feel like the whole tone of the movie changes. Like within that instance, like I don't know if they relight the set or what, but as soon as she's part of it. And they go into almost immediately uh, that bathtub scene where the children, uh, she needs them to clean up right away after being dirty in the park. And she does that song, Can You Imagine That? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when it really gets like magical to me. So uh, all these hard times that they're dealing with, it's worth it because mm-hmm. it, it brings, it's the catalyst to bring Mary Poppins back, which I think it's worth it because obviously at the end it turns out anyway. Yeah. I honestly can't remember why we kept most of this stuff to begin with. Don't you remember that kite? We used to love flying that with mother and father. Those days are long behind me. That's why I live and breathe. hardly to have aged at all. Really? One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I taught you better. So they're trying to save the house. Um, and one option would be to find um, Mr. Banks' shares in the bank that um, that he'd had from being a partner. Um, so they, they either need, they need to find the paper version of that. Or um, I think the kids are kind of messing around and they know that their mother had this bowl as uh, like a very ba- valuable um priceless yeah pr- priceless royal dalton bowl um and that then is is sort of the uh jumping point into the animated portion of the film um they're fighting over this bowl <laughs> of course it, it gets broken or it gets cracked and chipped um, so they need to repair it, and that drives a lot of the action of this film, um, including that the number where, um, yeah, and the musical number, the Royal Dalton Music Hall, um, mm-hmm. uh, is when Mary and um, Jack, played by Lynn Manuel Miranda, and the kids, they all jump into this bowl, um, and yeah, it's it's. Uh, fantastic animation sequence done using traditional 2D animation in the style of the the first film. Yeah, and I think that article that uh, you read through a little bit about how they decided to go about animating Mm -hmm. um, within the bowl, I just kind of skimmed it briefly before we jumped on here though, but I think that whole process of doing live action with the animation is so much more complicated than I originally thought. They have to film each scene three times. Is that what it said? Because they have to do it once with the performers and then once with the people who are basically acting out what the animation is going to do. And then they have to draw out that animation and somehow do it all over again. And I I just kind of take that to the surface. I'm like, wow, this is so enchanted like they're with the cartoons and not really thinking about that whole process that goes into making that 20 minute you know part of the movie it was probably extremely difficult (laughs) yeah um yeah they you know according to new york times rob marshall the director he insisted on using 2d animation which ended up being sort of a 
more time consuming, more expensive, and, and just altogether more arduous process than simply uh, using computer animation. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the mainstay of most modern uh, visual effects films. But, you know, he, he was insistent that it maintained kind of that consistency with the original film. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I couldn't be more glad that they went that direction because uh, it, it would have just not looked good if there was just a bunch of obvious CGI in this movie. Um, and, and that's sort of the downfall of a lot of live action sort of uh, effects driven films nowadays is, is um, it, it just everything looks kind of muddy and not not as full of character or life. Um, it, it's just sort of sterile when they use um, computer ad animation or rely too much on it. I mean, I, I love. Com oh, What's that? I was going to say, if we ever want to do a podcast about like what I believe is horrible animation, we mm -hmm. can talk about Mowgli on Netflix. So oh, have you seen that yet? I haven't seen that. Okay, We'll save that for the next time it's you and me, Philip, because that's when <laughs> really dig into how animation goes wrong <laughs> okay yeah we can watch that uh did you see turns, they do it just right well yeah i mean there's there's plenty of um your standard computer uh, generated animation but it, it's uh, blended very nicely with this with the 2d animation um and it's a uh, kind of just a classic technique that um, that they were then able to modify using modern visual effects um, to better integrate, you know, the characters within this animated world. Um, it's it's mainly just the um, like the characters of you know you first meet uh, once they enter the the world of the bowl. There's a carriage driver who's who's a dog, is <laughs> an Irish dog. That's <laughs> yeah, um, and then the talking horse, um, and then a bunch of other characters. There's like uh, hummingbirds and um, penguins. Meeting tons of animals when they finally get to the music hall, they they go into that uh, Mary Poppins and Jack's song, the a cover is not a book song. Mm -hmm. and I think that there's like a whale and turtles, and I think they fit in like pretty much every type of animated animal that they could into that theater. So you get to see almost every animal briefly. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Uh, it took over a year to do, um, I think uh, they had around 70 uh, animators. Wow. Some of whom were retired, <laughs> you know, former Disney animators, uh, you know, coming out of retirement to work on this movie. Um, the sequence was uh, supervised by veteran Disney Pixar writer Jim Capobianco um, and then he, he kind of worked with a small group of artists in the in the Bay Area um, in order to prepare the preliminary storyboards um, but then yeah they brought in a whole big crew of uh, of animators doing this traditional style that where they hand drew the the frames on paper that they then scanned into a computer to ink and color. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a tremendous feat that they did there. And I think, honestly, all that hard work 
was worth it. Those, that scene, the bowl portion when they're in that animation, it, it's all really, you know, amazing. Like you're almost breathless when they're in there. So I mean, hats off to them because I think they, I think that part really pulls off the magic that is this Mary Poppins story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the uh, Mary Poppins Returns is uh, also written uh, by David McGee and John DeLuca, along with the director. Mark Shaman does the music. Uh, he's done a lot of things. Hairspray, um, Smash, the mm-hmm. musical um, TV show. And uh, he, you know, he had his origins in Saturday Night Live. Um, he's done a lot of sort of comedic type work. Um, he was involved in the South Park movie, <laughs> Bigger, Longer, Uncut. Um, I have no idea what that one is. Yeah, it's just a crazy uh, South Park movie that also happens to be a musical. Uh, just it, it, um, It's very reminiscent uh, musically of um, Les Miserables. So... Uh. And then, yeah, Hairspray is a classic. So he, he wrote all the songs or like he... Um, he composed them. Yeah, he basically wrote the songs or co-wrote uh, mm-hmm. with his uh, staff. But um, he, he was the uh, lead composer on this movie, Mark Shaman. Um, picking up the mantle from uh, Richard and... Robert Sherman from uh, the original Mary Poppins. I think all the music was really great. The only one that I thought was kind of a dud was, you know, they leave the 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 bowl world and then they go to this cousin. Um, I don't remember what her name is. In okay, there, yeah. On street. Yeah, and cousin Topsy. Yeah, Topsy Turvy, and she sings a song that I think could have been cut. I think was my least favorite in the whole thing. Do you remember this part? It's, it's not yeah. very memorable to me. They're, they're upside down talking about perception, but it's mm-hmm. coming off of this really bright animated over the top world. And then it's kind of into this like darker. That, yeah, that scene was very like Tim Burton-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't for me. I yeah. Well, and, and it involved Meryl Streep who plays Cousin Topsy. And she was one of the leads of Into the Woods, um, so they wanted to bring her in somehow. Um, I don't, I, you know, it probably wasn't the best fit for this movie, just because it, it ended up having a few too many, just like big names that all got kind of, um, yeah, yeah, it got got a little confusing, you know. But um, it, it was fun. I mean, yeah, Meryl Streep uh, plays like this polish gypsy type character like her accent that she uses for the character uh, is similar to the one she has for the movie um, sophie's choice yeah she she plays a victim of the holocaust in sophie's choice it's a a pretty grim depressing movie but um is, is one that made meryl streep into kind of the household name she is today yeah, I've definitely heard of it. I just feel like it would be kind of heart-wrenching to watch that one. So, um, someday. That's clearly a classic, though, because you hear of Sophie's Choice sometimes. Because she's mm. making that choice between which of her children's going to live. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. the, the old plot. Somehow. 
So it's the opposite of Mary Poppins Returns. Because <laughs> all the children live in Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> Luckily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then after that, like, we... They go into the... I, is it the Little Light Fantastic number? Is that what's next? Yeah, they, like, get taken through this maze on the streets um, to this, like, dead end where there's a lone lamp post that then lowers into like underground uh sewers that they slide down into i don't know that was fun it didn't get too like wild and crazy and animated yeah i really wanted to like it because they bring out all of those what do they call them leeries the um, leeries they bring out all the leeries and you can tell they're setting up for this really big honestly broadway chicago style mm-hmm. performance Mm-hmm. And I liked it a lot, the spinning fire, but then they bring out these bikes, like they're doing like bike tricks. I don't know if it's to make it more contemporary or what's going on with the bikes, but it really pulled me out of yeah. it for some reason. So I wanted to love the Triple Little Light Fantastic and the song is cool, but I the, thought yeah. a little, some strange choices with the, with the bike. The art department, they, they dressed a hundred BMX bikes to look like they could be, you know, taking place in the uh, Great Depression era. <laughs> yeah. They they just, uh, yeah, they're, they're just straight up BMX. Did you find it weird or was I like the only one who was thinking it was a little weird? No, you're right. It, it was, I mean, it's still, the rest of the movie is still very stylized. It, you know, it's got song and dance. And so, you know, it's supposed to be, um exaggerated but then you you bring in the bikes and it's like a whole new level of <laughs> extreme sports <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe maybe younger kids though would find that element really fun i don't know i'm not yeah. i'm not a young boy that's going to that so for me that was just kind of i don't know but my mom really liked that song she said and you you knowing the original is there the Step in Time song? Like Step in Time? Song? Yeah, it's very similar to that. That's what she was saying. So she, I think that was her favorite song because she felt like it was like a good like nod to the original. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I miss that that context because again, I haven't seen the original, but like that's that's cool. So. Yeah. Yeah, this, I mean, movie has a lot of the same beats as the original, the Step in Time musical number, which is um, that rooftop dance sequence involving the chimney sweeps, kind of matched with this one, uh, with the Learys um, and, and their BMX bikes. And and even like the end of the movie, the, what is, what is that song called? Nowhere to go but up. Something along those lines. Yep. Nowhere to go but up is definitely a take on let's go fly a kite thematically at least mm-hmm. um, and and like the moment with um the cousin cousin Topsy is you know similar to the moment with Edwin's character in the first movie where he plays Uncle Albert um, and then you learn that laughing for him causes him to levitate. Um, so yeah, they're kind of like dancing on the ceiling and that in the first movie because of laughter and then, you know, and in this movie it's because of Cousin Topsy's. I think it's like happiness and positivity is what lifts them up. Like finding the light in the dark is supposed to be the overall theme. Like seeing that things, it can be dark, but you can like still find 
optimism. Would you say that's the overall theme when you get to the end of it is like positivity will lift you out of the dark, lightness, whatever makes you light. Yeah, no, you're, you're dead on. Um, and I think if this movie were allowed to sit with me a little longer, like a lot of the same uh, themes would end up merging in in my head they would they would sort of connect a little bit more to the same degree that the original mary poppins does because i've had you know so many years and so many viewings of, and, and listening to the music um to where like that whole ethos has has been allowed to really seep into you know our consciousness um, and then yeah. with this movie, yeah, it's it's similar, uh, but I think, it, yeah, it does deal with um, sort of a much more grim uh, and, and glum premise, you know, you've, with the recent deaths and the the financial troubles, the Great Depression, mm-hmm. or or Great Slump as they call it in England. Um, whereas, yeah, in the first movie, it was you know triumphant. Edwardian 1910, you know, the age of men, as uh, Mr. Banks calls it. <laughs> this movie is great for me right now because it does deal with like grieving processes, but also just general life um, struggles. <laughs> and finding, finding hope through it because kind of mm-hmm. to bridge from, they go from that, that weary scene, uh, the bridge from that to the end is, they have to kind of stop time in order to find these shares. And their way of doing that is they, they turn out the light on Big Ben. And then Mary Poppins says, you can turn the light back on. So I think that theme of light in the dark is where they're going with it. And I think that's relatable for, I mean, for mm-hmm. everyone. Like, mm-hmm. that, that's a really easy one to copy kind of to. That is quite the image, yeah, of, of the Learys climbing Big Ben Tower. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and trying to manipulate time, which is silly because, like, you, you can't change time. Uh, but they're, you know, endeavoring to do just that as um, M- Mr. Wilkins at the bank, sort of notably against his his character, is staying at the bank until... The yeah, the stroke of midnight on, on Friday uh, in order to allow the banks to fulfill their obligation. Um, I guess he, he's only being held accountable to that because one of his um, assistants, yeah, one of the employees, um, is actually like a virtuous person. The, they're the two guys from the beginning who serve the notice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. One of them is is actually decent and friendly. The other one's kind of a Scrooge. Oh, they say something really good at the end. I'm gonna try to remember it. So okay, so they end up getting. Is it okay if we do like the spoiler? Like yeah. they, they get the shares there in time, and mm-hmm. then it's kind of you can tell it's like winding down for Mary Poppins. She's about to go home, so they go into that final number of nowhere to go but up. But there there is a line in it, and I'm going to find it, but. Where the good coworker is holding onto his balloon, and he's holding on to the bad coworker. Mm-hmm. The line, the lyric is something along the lines of, "And if you have like extra goodness to go around, like share it with someone who doesn't, because like you'll reap what you sow." I'll find the lyric for you, but I thought it was a really good like throw in because like 
there are going to be bad people out there are people who are more, you know, prone to get stuck in the darkness, but like sharing your mm-hmm. positivity will never be wasted because it can, you, you can pull someone up with you. And I thought that was really sweet. That whole ending number was just really cheerful and I thought perfect. And you know, the ending then it is kind of bittersweet because you know, after all this happiness, they don't need Mary Poppins anymore. Mm-hmm. And looks at her red balloon and she must say this in the, the practically perfect in every way she must say that in the original mm. that her line yeah yeah so she looks in the red balloon and she's like oh practically perfect in every way and then how, how does she realize it's time to go home but basically she looks at that balloon and she knows it's time to go home like the door opens up and yeah. she goes home um there's a gust of wind mm-hmm. and um I, I think it, you know, it's during this time when it's sort of the climax of the good, of the celebration um, with um, Angela Lansbury, the balloon lady. Uh, but man, I, the precise moment when she knows, uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, th- there's also a nice moment with, um, Lin-Manuel, his character has a crush on Jane. I love that subplot. Yeah. That is so sweet. I was, yeah, totally rooting for him. And it's sad because, I mean, in those days, if you weren't married by 30, you know, you were considered a spinster. And so Don't Jane... say that. But <laughs> I feel like that's still the case in the South where I am right now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, so so Jane's kind of hung up the hat a little bit in terms of you know her family prospects, which is is totally ludicrous. I mean, um, she's she's played by um, Emily Mortimer, if I didn't mention, and then Ben Wishaw is uh, is Michael. Ben Wishaw was recently in Paddington Two as the voice of Paddington, or you know in in the Paddington movies. Um, he's also Q in the recent James Bond movies, but yeah, like the <laughs> Emily Mortimer and uh, Lin Manuel Miranda—they make a great couple. Is is there going to be another sequel where those two have a child and Mary Poppins has to come back again? Do you think they'll do another one after this? This was a success, right? Did you ever get to look at what they brought in at the box office? It no. must be a success. Yeah, I I think I saw it had a hundred thirty million dollar budget, and then it's so far made like hundred eighty million, maybe that's domestic. Um, that was just the number I saw. Uh, I'm not sure what the worldwide number is. I would assume that it's full and it's been weeks. Worldwide gross, it's currently at one hundred eighty five million. Um, with with the production budget of 130 million um so i mean it's it's got a ways to go but that's par for the course this time of year where you you know you have a lot of family movies that um are released around the same time with just the expectation that over the winter months uh, people will just continually go out to see them because there aren't a lot of big releases in january or february typically the only other one that I thought, you know, seemed busy at the theater, which I went yesterday to see this, Mary Poppins Returns, is um, Aquaman, which is kind of a different demographic mm-hmm. for that one, that movie. Yeah. Like teenager one or young adult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
It's some overlap, but not much. Both very kind of colorful, whimsical looking films. Um, speaking of Aquaman, um, the director, of course, Rob Marshall, is slated to direct the live action version of The Little Mermaid. I was just going to say, and I was going to bring this up because I was saying how much I love the bathtub scene in, in Mary Poppins Returns. Mm-hmm. The whole time I was watching this bathtub scene where they're swimming with dolphins and starfish, I was like, this gets me so excited for the live action Little Mermaid. This underwater musical number, how can it get cooler than that? So, uh, so Aquaman, does that take place underwater as well? Is that why they picked him? He has a vision for... Well, um, Aquaman just resembles what I imagine the Little Mermaid movie is going to look like. Um, th- that, that was directed by James Wan. But um, yeah, with um, Mary Poppins Returns and, and the underwater sequence there, uh, I imagine that's going to play a lot into the, the Little Mermaid. Yeah, you, you make a great point. Um, I also love your pitch about uh, Jane and Jack, you know, Emily Mortimer and uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda being like the lead couple in, in the next Mary Poppins movie. And, and well, Philip, you're in LA, so just write a script. Get <laughs> in an elevator with one of these guys and hand it off. Mm-hmm. That's where dreams come true. You're ready. That's the I, next step for you. Nowhere to go but up. All right, I got to do it. I just got to fill my heart with hope and dreams, and um, <laughs> my my uh, <laughs> life will do the rest. <laughs> uh, but it was a great movie, and I I wouldn't be disappointed if they did one more in 50 years, and I took my grandkids to it if I get married yeah well they wanted to do one the year after the original <laughs> oh wow so they've they, been sitting on this for a long time yeah they were really uh eager but um they never got the rights uh, or I think they had uh they had to get the go-ahead from P.L. Travers with any film adaptation and they were only able to get the one. And, and P.L. Travers didn't really like the first Mary Poppins. Um, they, and, and in fact, like they violated some of her uh, conditions with the inclusion of music and animated sequences. She was pretty adamantly opposed to that. That is a fun fact. I would have thought that anyone, I mean, that, I feel like dumb saying that it's a classic. I haven't seen it. But I mean, that movie's pivotal in so many people's lives. You think she'd be like tickled pink that they took her book and made that with it. She was just an interesting character. She was very strong-willed. She didn't Uh, have an easy life either. So maybe, yeah. No. was a little bit more serious about things. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, um, she, I think she approved of Julie Andrews' portrayal. She, She enjoyed that aspect of it. But the rest of the film, she just didn't didn't care for, and um, I I don't think she pressed charges against Disney for um, s- some of the choices that they made, like the animation. I mean, the movie made so much money; she must have probably she just clearly didn't care about that. Um, yeah. But then, when um, she was nearing her death, like they entered into negotiations over developing a stage version of Mary Poppins. And that became the Broadway West End 
version of Mary Poppins on stage. Um, and there's also, um, well, that's kind of what enabled the Walt Disney Company to re-enter talks with the uh, P.L. Travers estate over developing a film sequel to the original. I was just going to say, I, I hope that if she could watch the movie from wherever she's at now, she'd be, you know, excited about it. Like you said, Emily Blunt trying to pay more attention to what the character was in those original books and maybe be a little more true to it. Probably not because there's still like too much dancing for her taste, but I don't know. There's so much joy to people coming out of the theater at the end of the movie. You see these little girls and boys with their parents and you see grandparents that come together. I think it's one of those feel good holiday movies that everyone should go to, not to try, try to throw a pitch mm -hmm. for it, but I left feeling mm -hmm. uplifted. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm, I'm happy she let them use the story and I hope she knows how much love she shared with it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Travers was just very protective of her ideas and didn't want them exploited for financial gain. You know, what she saw to be this big corporation sort of bursting in and trying to just, you know, make a cynical profit off of what she had done. Um, and, and I don't get that, you know, basically at all from, from these Disney Mary Poppins movies because they are just very, um, very hopeful, very idealistic. Um, there's hardly a cynical point about them, but yeah, sometimes people are just so set in their ways and, um, they, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier, how like our memories are so front loaded in our childhood and, and our youth, like our younger years. And I think that that can lead people to be resistant to change a lot of times. It's like how, wh why are so many old people so like, <laughs> so slow to change with the times and they're still acting like it's the 1950s and 60s? Well, because the memories that they are closest to are the ones when they were growing up mm -hmm. and being formed as people. Um, so it's hard, it's hard to get away from that. Yeah, that's probably why she held on so, so tightly to her vision. And I mean, and, and your parents, your, your relationship mm -hmm. with your parents, if it was, you know, creating this nanny to escape her father, whatever the case might have been. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a really good point, Philip. Yeah, it was, it was a retroactive attempt on her part to redeem her father in her mind. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Walt Disney, he had a very similar sensibility because his, he had a troubled relationship with his father. Um, and then he would go on to create mm -hmm. his own... Yeah, his own little storybook empire, um, and and yeah, it's just we all kind of have our our own styles. And Walt Disney, I think, his aligned so much with P.L. Travers that he was just desperate and um, constantly pining for the rights to to be able to make um, Mary Poppins into a movie. It's an amazing story of like how... I'll have uh, to watch that. Yeah. You said it was called Saving Mr. Banks? Saving Mr. Banks, yeah. He was just so persistent. 
and it's like <laughs> why there are there are other stories out there but there just must have been something about pl travers and and the story of mary poppins that and it makes sense like disney he's he's kind of a rub his movies have a lot of like hopeful ideas but not too saccharine there's always a little bit of a sarcastic edge to to disney movies they can be very self-referential um a, a little uh subversive um and yeah that that's definitely something he and pl travers had in common um, definitely playing to a younger audience but not exclusively to that younger audience never exclusively they mm -hmm. have us for life so <laughs> those themes those themes they stick with you forever so i mm -hmm. think you hit the nail on the head yeah and i think yeah. the movie was great <laughs> it's it's almost a begrudging adherence to that child or the child demographic <laughs> they like like how mary poppins is almost reluctant to have to deal with kids but she does it out of the goodness of her heart yeah yes i think so too that that was my question at the beginning of this whole uh podcast was mm -hmm. how does mary poppins feel towards children and yeah yeah she she's not the biggest fan but there's definitely a part of her. It's kind of like any parent. Um, you, you sort of dread the idea of having kids, but then when you do, you know, they they become your life and your life has definitely changed, but they they bring such a new perspective that is often refreshing to people. Mm -hmm. This this idea of service. That in between. They live in that like children. I just, again, I keep going back to the bathtub scene, but like they live in this world that's like part real and part magic. So like mm -hmm. when you're talking to a kid, like they really could believe there's a dolphin in their bathtub. They really could believe that they're a little mermaid in the bathtub or a pirate. Mm -hmm. And it, I think that's like, kids are magical. You know that I work with them all the time, but even if you didn't want to be a nanny, you'd fall in love with the kids. But I think she loves to be a nanny. I think she's just a little more stern. <laughs> and them to grow up to be good adults. You you watched that Kristen Bell video I sent, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, you can't go wrong with Kristen Bell because I love her. So she could have done nothing in a Mary Poppins costume, and I'd be raving about it. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I watched that, I thought, oh, wouldn't it have been fun? Not not as a negative on Emily Blunt, but how fun would it have been if Kristen Bell was Mary Poppins? I I think she is kind of more she's more similar to Mar uh, julie andrews than, yeah. than emily blunt but and and i know kristen bell really wanted the gig um but i i don't know if they did auditions because emily blunt was in um into the woods so it makes sense that she would just be you know asked she, she was requested to to perform this role um and in fact she was pregnant at the time she was hired to do mary poppins as was julie andrews in the original film <laughs> really oh yeah. so they have that motherly glow as they're nannying these children or they're learning their lines oh that's so fun i didn't know that she doesn't look was she, did they film when she was pregnant? She doesn't. No. Oh, okay. Exactly. Wonder Woman was pregnant apparently when they started filming. Wow! Yeah, it's incredible. 
Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember if Julie Andrews was the first choice. Um, I, I would almost think so. She may have been the first choice to play uh, Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady, but then they went with Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. And, but, because then, yeah, she had done Sound of Music. Um, I don't know. Th there's a whole story about that, like how the two of them kind of had a rivalry going over the course of these films. But I think Julie Andrews was the first choice. And um, with this movie, it was rumored at one point that Kate Blanchett would play the role of Mary Poppins. But that, you know, is sort of spanning the entirety of the development of Mary Poppins sequel, which sp <laughs> spans over 50 years. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of names have kind of come up over that right. time. I think in the 80s, even, they wanted to bring J uh, Julie Andrews back. And um, they, they started active development. Uh, then that was when Jeffrey Katzenberg was at the studio. Um, but um, yeah, P.L. Travers, just she wasn't <laughs> a fan of, of the way they were going. They had to scrap their idea and they yeah. just they decided against it. Um, so, wow, here we are. Uh, it's 2019. There's a new Mary Poppins movie and most likely the first of uh, at least several more. <laughs> I, I can't imagine they want to simply hang it up after this one. Um, but we'll see how long it takes before the next Mary Poppins, before Mary Poppins uh, returns again. We should promise that no matter what we're doing, even if it's 54 years from now, we'll make a podcast about Mary Poppins Returns Returns. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I don't know, maybe computers and podcasts and all that. I mean, 54 years is a long time. It'll, it'll be our own little... Uh, Promise. Podcast, it is kind of like a, I don't know, a word that doesn't seem to have the most longevity because it's, it came from iPod and people don't even use iPods anymore. <laughs> it's all like iPhones and smartphones. So who knows if that lane, if that name will stick around. It almost seems like it has to though, because podcasts have just become so ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So Kristen Bell, she, she would have been a great Mary Poppins, but I just don't think she, she quite had the opportunity to, uh, <laughs> to nudge out. Yeah. Emily Blunt. Um, and of course, Rob Marshall, he's actually from Wisconsin. If you knew that. No. Mm -hmm. He, uh, with, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. So, and then now off to do, uh, the little mermaid, which is, which I cannot uh, wait for. That's going to be our best podcast ever. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening and, um, yeah, just stay tuned for hopefully more Jody Pulaski in future podcast episodes. Yep, and Dawson LQ will be back soon. So if you were missing him too much during this recording, don't worry, we're gonna have him back next week or the next week. <laughs> um, so thank you all for listening. Happy 2019. I'm Philip Elke. You can find the Thodcast on all the various podcasting platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Visit us at thodcast.com. It's T H A W E D 
C-A-S-T.com. All right. <laughs> uh, what should we say to sign off? <laughs> we hope your new year is practically perfect in every way. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And then the oh. audience claps. Woo! Yay, claps. <laughs> <laughs>